All right, well, good evening. Thank you. All right, with your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 2 and go back to chapter 1. So just stay right around there. <clears throat> John chapter 2 to start off with, verse 1. I know we just prayed, but if we could pray again, I would love it, because I don't like to preach unless we pray. So uh, let's go before God, shall we? I know we just did, but it's never going to go too many times. Let's pray. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for another day, a day to worship, both in this room and outside, in times of conversation about you, as well as wreck, and playing, and swimming, and going to the lake, and all of its worship as we're mindful of you. And so we thank you. You created everything for our joy, for our good, according to your word. And so now I pray that as we dive into your word, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you desire for us to be changed more than we want to be changed. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you want to change those who are far from you, that you will convict. I thank you. I pray that you would convict of sin and draw them to Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work. Father, draw them to Christ. And as we look at this topic of your word, Father, I pray that you'd put into us, all of us in the room, myself included, this renewed love for and commitment to your word. That we would be people of the book because we're people of Jesus. And so I pray you would encourage and convict us whatever is necessary to make us look, at, look like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, Verse 3, when the wine ran out, <laughs> uh-oh, that's it, party's over. You got to remember, like, in, okay, weddings in that day, they weren't just a few hours long, they would be days long. You go through the ceremony, and then they celebrate, they have, a, they have a blast. And so this would be a huge shame on the family, because it meant that the family couldn't provide for their guests. And so I know that for us, we think, oh, just go to BevMo, you're fine, just go get something, come back. But they didn't have any BevMo, so it wasn't, it wasn't that easy. And it's like, well, so why is Mary the one? So look at verse 4. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So Mary's there. So how does she know about it? And doesn't say it in the passage, but it's possible that she's kind of in charge of the reception. Like she's taking it on. She's helping the family out. She hears about the problem. And then she goes to Jesus. Now, here's a side note. I love the fact that Jesus was there with a couple of his disciples. And what do I think he did? Guys, I don't think that he showed up. and He's like, okay, stop. Stop the joy. I want to lead you through a Bible study of Habakkuk. And then just open up the scroll of Habakkuk and just bore everyone to death. I don't think that's what he did. I think he actually just showed up to the wedding to play and to celebrate because God is the one who created the concept of marriage. And so why wouldn't the one who created it and the joys that come with it, not, why would he show up and not be the life of the party? Be joy-filled. So and I think he was invited because people wanted him there. 
I remember when, we, when, when I got married, uh, we had to go through the whole wedding list and who we're inviting. And on most of it, I was like, yeah, you can invite them. You can. I didn't really, I had a few that was like, they have to be there. And then the rest is like, whoever you want. But it's usually, it's the, but you ever, for those who've been, okay, leaders that you've been married, did you ever get this pressure? It's like, maybe your, a parent came up and said, you need to invite Aunt Bethel or whatever her name is. Invite her, because if you don't, she's going to just make my life miserable. And so she shows up thinking that people want to be around her, but people can't stand her. But it's like, that's kind of what happens. But I don't picture this as being Jesus. Because remember, I said, I think that Jesus is the funniest being in the universe, I think he's the one that knows what it's like to have life and joy and laughter and knows the appropriate things to say that just kind of gets the whole community involved. He has this magnetic personality that draws people to him. Here's how I think I know, because when you look in the scriptures, the kids loved to be around him. And little ones can be as honest as they want with people. You ever notice that? When my little ones were, when my boys were little and say we're walking along and say Dylan's like three, and we're walking along in the store and say some dude comes, like hair's all crazy, and, like pierced all over his body and tattoos. And I, that stuff doesn't bother me. It's like, okay, great. I feel like I should have the right to look. Like if I want to stare at a person like that, they can't get mad because I'm like, why else did you do this? I'm honestly honoring your ability <laughs> to do that to yourself. So I'm what, but here's Dylan. He's like, dad, what's wrong with that guy? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't say that. But says it completely out loud as we pass the guy. So when you're little and when you're 90-something, like I, I hope I get to be 90 because then you can just say whatever you want. Oh, I cannot wait just to be walking. Oh my gosh, you stink and just walk along. <laughs> like be a happy, grumpy guy. That's what I want to be. But I think Jesus was invited because he wanted, the people wanted him there. But why go to him with this problem? He hasn't done any miracles yet. Nothing. This is his first one that's coming up and we'll probably talk about it more tomorrow night. But why would Mary go to Jesus with the problem? They don't have any more wine. Guys, what, anybody know what job uh, Jesus had? Anybody know what it was? Yeah. Carpenter? Yeah. So he builds stuff, right? And here comes Mary going, we have no more wine. And, and watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, woman. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait. <laughs> Did, did Jesus just woman his mama? Like, woman? <laughs> okay, but it's not, it's not like it is today. Like, there's no, I've never looked at my wife and said, woman? Never. It's, it's normal. It was, it was a normal, it's like, just kind of picture him going, mom, like, what does this have to do with me? He says, my time hasn't come yet. And the question's legitimate. Why are you coming to me? There's no more wine. Unless he's over here building a chair and then over here jumping on grapes. He doesn't have this side business of making wine. Why go to him? And is it possible that Mary in her mind thought, I remember. I remember when I was told that I was going to give birth to the son of God. And maybe there's something about Jesus all growing up for these 30-ish years or so. That he always stood out as someone who was willing to at least jump into something. To help with the problem. And so she says, hey, then I'm more wine. What am I supposed to do about it? And then watch what she does. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> does anybody have a mom or a dad that likes to volunteer you for things without asking? Yeah. Right? And you sit there and go, I cannot believe that. I can't believe mom does that. Well, 
<laughs> she went through labor, so she can at least have that one, okay? So she goes through that. But yeah, parents for some reason like to volunteer us. It's like, <laughs> I remember being, being younger and saying my mom's got friends together. It's like, hey, we want to get together. We need someone to watch the little ones. And mom's like, Brian will do that. Brian will watch them all. There's like 72 kids. Ah, he loves it. They love to play with knives. He loves that. He loves to bleed. It'll be fine. But it's just like volunteers. Like, do, what, did, what did Jesus just experience here? His mama just volunteered him. But look at what, look at what, look at what she says. And friends, I think this is the best advice for every single follower of Jesus. All she said to the servants was, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Followers of Jesus, I'm calling us, just reminding us, just do whatever Jesus says. We just do whatever he says. It's like, well, how do I know when it's him? Because you ever had that thought pop in your head? It's like, is that God? Is that me? Is that the devil? Is that the pepperoni pizza from last night? I dreamt it's all weird. It's like, where's that thought coming from? Guys, I'm really thankful that God gave us the word. He gave us the Bible for a reason. Because if he didn't give this, guys, there are so many false religions that have started and cults that have started because of a very charismatic personality and the person that calls himself the leader and the people just follow whatever that person says. What, the reason you should be bringing Bibles to chapel and the reason you should be showing up with Bibles at your church and your youth group, and the reason you should be showing up is so that you can check it. Like a person's preaching and you sit and go, wait, the Bible doesn't say that. It's not, you're not supposed to go, well, Brian said it, so it must be of God. No, you bring the Bible. It always comes back to the Bible. Friends, I've told the people at our church, if I ever come out and it's like, oh, God just gave me this feeling, and he wants me to tell you that Jesus is not God. I've told him, if you ever hear anything like that, run. Get out, don't stay. Go back to the Bible. Guys, it's God's way of protecting his people from just charismatic leaders who will take us into all these weird beliefs that have nothing to do with Jesus. And the Bible should be so valuable to us. But is it? I got this email, uh, this email article uh, a few days ago from Compassion International. Anybody know what Compassion is? Maybe, maybe some of you guys have Compassion. You support kids from around the world who are in poverty. Um, and so I'm reading this thing, and here's this little 11-year-old girl named Tivani from Indonesia. And for five years, she stayed dedicated to pray for this one thing. And she kept praying, believing that God was going to give her this one thing. You know what she prayed for for five years? A Bible of her own. She prayed for five years for a Bible of her own. And then she shows up to one of these compassion gatherings where all the kids are there, and she gets this box, and then opens it, and it's this Bible of her own. And she knew, she said, God answered my prayer. So you know what it's caused her to do? To pray for everything now. To just start praying because she saw. Guys, you ever notice our attention spans not five years? I mean, hey, have, have you been praying? I pr I've been praying for like 12 minutes. God hasn't come through. This 11-year-old prayed from the age of six because she wanted a Bible of her own. From the age of six, like, what do you want, Tavani? What is the most, what's the most valuable thing you could ever imagine heaven right now? And sitting there going, I would like a Bible of my own. At six, and then at 11, God gives it. And then to see this little picture, she's just holding, it's like on her face, she's just holding it like it's a hug. She's like hugging this Bible. 
Do you realize that in America, 90, 92% of Americans have at least one Bible in their house? And this isn't just Christians. This is 92% of everyone in our nation. One, at least one Bible. And I say most people who say, I'm a follower of Christ, we have at least two to three minimum. And then when you become, quote, unquote, professional pastor, you have like 75. And I don't know why we need so many. We, say, yes, we keep going. Guys, the word of God is so valuable, and some people get it, and some people don't. I watched this pastor. He, he was sharing in, in the year 2010, so it was a while ago. But I think he's a pastor out in Hawaii, which is a fantastic calling. I'm not going to lie. So he's, a, he's a pastor in Hawaii, but he's in China. And so he's, he's, he comes back, comes back from this trip, and he's telling the people that he's speaking to, and he goes, I'm just, I got I to gotta convey to you what it is that happened. He's in this little apartment. He says it's about 700 square feet, so I'm going to guess it's like this, maybe a little bigger bigger than the stage. All hardwood floor, no air conditioning in China. 22 Christian leaders from China got on a train and traveled 13 hours by train to show up to this apartment. Then the 22 Christian leaders, pastors, they went two by two up the elevator different times so that no one, no one saw it as weird, so that no one thought, hey, this is a Christian gathering. They had to keep it under wraps because it was going to be illegal if people found out about it. And so two by two, they're showing up into this little room, hardwood floor, no air conditioning. And he's, all he did for three days was teach the Bible from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. nonstop. They sat on the floor. They just sat there and they soaked it in. No air conditioning, just taking it all in, taking it all in. At one point he asked them, okay, so how many people are you guys responsible for? If you do the math, how many are you guys responsible for? So they kind of started to try to figure out the math and 22 Christian leaders in China were responsible for 20 million people. And I sit and I listen, hey, leaders, youth pastors, you ever wonder why people come to the States? to learn how to quote unquote do church. I think we're missing something. This underground church movement of people just going, we want people to know Jesus, not just put on an event. He says, okay, so what if the government finds out about what we're doing here? What will happen? And they said, well, you'll be deported within 24 hours and we're gonna go to prison for three years. And so could you teach the Bible? Guys, for three days, he taught the Bible. At one point, he, he has 15 Bibles. Oh, actually, before that, he goes, out of the 22, how many of you have been to prison because you love Jesus? 18 hands went up. Four didn't. Simply because they're followers of Jesus. Guys, they take this book seriously. They want to live it out. And the whole reason they, got to, they go to prison is because they love Jesus? So he has 15 Bibles. He starts to hand them out. And he goes, hey, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Right when he says that, this woman has the Bible, closes it, hands it off to somebody else, and just sits there. And he's like, oh, did I offend her? <laughs> why did you give it away? Goes up and talks to her afterwards when there's a little bit of a break. Hey, why did you hand off your Bible? She goes, I already memorized chapter one. And he goes, well, where did you memorize it? Well, I memorized it when I was in prison. It's like, wait a minute, so you were in prison? Isn't it illegal for you to have the Bible in prison? Yeah, but what happens is that people know, hey, I want to know the word, so they'll, they'll write it on a piece of paper, they smuggle it in, I take it, I memorize it as quickly as I can. The guy goes, hey, won't they confiscate it if they find it? Absolutely, that's why you memorize it, but they can confiscate the paper, but they can't confiscate my heart. They're just sitting there going, they just want the word. 
It's just so, just give me the word, just give me the scriptures. There's something about the Bible that either causes people, people to hate it and hate anyone who reads it and lives it out or it causes people to submit and to surrender to it and to see societies and cultures changed by it. At the end of their three days together, he asked them, he said, hey, how can I be praying for you all here? And they said, oh, we've heard how it is where you live. Like you have these places you could gather and worship whenever you want. And would you pray that we could be like you? And he looked at it and he said, I won't pray that. And when, I, when he said that, I went, what a jerk. <laughs> I just pray it. And he goes, no, 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 here's what I want to explain. You traveled 13 hours by train just to come hear the word of God. And we have people back home who won't travel more than an hour, and if they have to, they won't come back. And then you guys came up, and you sat in a room on the floor from eight to five, and back home, if I go over 45 minutes in my message, people might not come back. And you sat on the floor with no air conditioning. And at home, if we go longer than an hour, hour and 10 minutes, and there's not cushy seats and an air conditioning and a frappuccino, people won't come back. He said, I'm not gonna pray that you'd be like us. I'm gonna pray that we can become like you. And I thought, what a great perspective. Here are these people that just love the word. Why? Here's what the Bible says about itself. All scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Guys, this book that you have, either in paper or on an app, guys, people have died for it. And just trying to translate it into a language where we can read it. They've died because of it. Guys, when we pick it up, this is like a blood-stained book of people who've been martyred because of their love for Jesus and this conviction that we should be able to hear from God and spend time with him in this book because we believe that it is God-breathed. Guys, think about it. Everything we talked about last night with regards to creation. I hope that when you walked out going, oh, what? I don't know what to do with that kind of God. How do I talk to him? And we think of everything that's been created. We don't know hardly anything about everything that's been created. And God just spoke it into existence. Six days, here it is. Guys, the Bible took 1,500 years to be penned. 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, and it is a cohesive whole. It does not contradict itself within 1,500 years of writing. Think about it. If I just left here, went down to downtown Fresno, walked up to 100 people and said, hey, what's your opinion on abortion? Do you think 100 people on the same day in the same place would all agree on it? Absolutely not. The authors were from different, different walks of life. You have kings to tax collectors. And it all agrees Guys, archaeologically, it's never been disproven. Do you realize that archaeologists, they use the Bible to dig to find stuff. They've never found anything that goes against it. Have they, have they found everything in it? Absolutely not. But nothing has disproven the scriptures. Historically, it's accurate. 
And then there's these things called prophecies. Do you guys know what those are? Talking about things that are coming in the future. Guys, just the Old Testament part. I was reading up on, reading up on it today. By the time it was finally finished, the, 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 the number that most people agree on is 18, 1,817 prophecies in the Old Testament. That means one out of every four verse in the Old Testament has something to do with a prophetic word. Out of those 1,817, I've heard this number, anywhere from 300, give or take, to 450 prophecies about Jesus coming. So almost 25% of the Old Testament prophecies are about Jesus and what, it, what he would be like and who he would be and what he would do, what he would experience. Guys, just a few of them, a few of the messianic prophecies talking about Jesus. One, he'd be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner. He'd be a, he would be a prophet like Moses. He'd be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness and compassion. He would be full of zeal, preaching with parables. He'd be working miracles. He would triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. He would be re rejected by his own Jewish brethren. Jews and Gentiles could combine or would combine against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. He'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. His betrayer would kill himself. His disciples would desert him. Would, he would die under suffering, but would be silent. His appearance would be marred. He'd be spit upon. He'd be scourged. His hands and feet would be nailed to the cross. He'd be forsaken by God. He would cry out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd be mocked. His friends would stand far off. He'd be offered gall and vinegar while he's hanging on the cross. His garments would be parted and gambled for. He'd be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. Not one bone in his body would be broken. He'd be pierced long before crucifixion would ever be invented. His heart would be broken. His side would be pierced. Darkness would cover the land. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. His flesh would not see corruption. He would be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. All of this, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, and this is just a fraction of them. Friends, if any book got this, just this many right, you'd suddenly go, oh, there's some, there's some credibility to this book. And what do people say today? Ah, it's just myth. So a math professor took his students and he said, okay, let's take the probability. There's some 300 give or take prophecies about Jesus. What is the probability of one person coming and fulfilling just eight? Not all 300 plus, but just eight of them. What's the probability that one person could do that? With all the math that they came up with as a class, they said the probability that one person could do all just eight of the messianic prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. So here's what it is. Guys, if I had 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars, that would be enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas, two feet deep. So here's what one in 10 to the 17th power. What's your name? Michaela? Okay, Michaela. Michaela, say, this is what's gonna happen. You're the one. You, Michaela, and all your youth group, whoever's with your youth group, Hume is going to fly you and me all to Texas. They're going to pay for it first class. It's going to be fantastic. We show up Texas. Then I take Michaela. We're all watching. I have one silver dollar. I put an X on it. I throw it in the middle of the state of Texas. And then somehow we're able to stir all of it. Then I say, Michaela, come here. And then I blindfold her. Say, hey, you got one shot. You got one shot to find the one with the X. And if you find it, you get it all. 
and you can travel as long and far as you want. You can go anywhere that you want. In the state of Texas, you got one shot to find the X, and if you do, you win. The same likelihood that Michaela will find the X on that silver dollar, that one silver dollar, on her first try, is the same probability that one person will come and fulfill just eight of the, of the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and Jesus fulfilled them all. And so when you sit there and go, oh, well, it's just coincidence. Oh, seriously? Friends, when people just jump to those conclusions, what is, it's obvious to me that for some people, if I walked up and said, if, if the Bible were completely true, and which I do believe it is, but if like you knew that the Bible was completely true, would you admit it? And there will still be people who go, no. If, if I could, if, if like salvation is the only way, you knew that it was, there's no other way, you knew it, would you still want it? No. Guys, that's not even following fact and evidence. That's just, I don't want Jesus. I don't want to accept his word. But friends, when I look at this, and I think of the validity of it, the accuracy of it, and then I look at how it's changed lives, friends, the word of God is mind-blowing. You have to picture that at the end of the Old Testament being written, that last part, there's now 400 years of silence where God gives no prophetic word. No prophet is speaking the things of God. And so people are wondering, this guy shows up, and we kind of looked at it this morning. Is it Buddy? Buddy the, the, the bath? Buddy. Bath giver. So Buddy the bath giver shows up, right? And they're sitting there going, wait a minute. This is starting to look, this is starting to look familiar. And so you have religious leaders that are walking out going, are you the one? And he goes, I'm not the Messiah. Are you the prop? No, no, I'm just, I'm just the mess. I'm just the one who's here to prepare the way. I'm just preparing the way, which is really him saying the Messiah is coming. Like the one that you've been waiting, the one that's been prophesied for the last, I don't know, a couple thousand years, give or take. Hey, the one, he's here and I'm just preparing his way. And you get to John chapter one, verse 35. Go there with me. John chapter one, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The day before that, he saw Jesus. He goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would he say that? Hey, just a show of hands, just so I'm curious, or just so I have an idea. How many have been brought up in the church pretty much your whole life? Kind of gone, wow, okay, bunch of you. So it's like, like you took communion in the, in the womb. <laughs> it's like, I like that stuff, give me more. And you're kicking your mom in the bladder, like that's you. <laughs> so you've heard all these stories. So why is it so important that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Anybody know? You want to throw it back at me? And I did, yeah. You got to say it real loud because I'm 47. Huh? Why is it so important that Jesus is known as the Lamb of God? Oh, there it is. They would sacrifice for what? Sacrifice for what? What's the sacrifice for? For our sins. So all these, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament... I mean, one after another, constantly, all day long, just imagine blood pouring constantly. Here's blood because of sacrifices. All those sacrifices did, quote, unquote, nothing to truly forgive sin. They just pointed to Jesus coming. So Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. 
So when he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, continue on, verse 35. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them and followed him and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He hasn't done a miracle. Like he didn't do anything miraculous. All he did was spend time listening to Jesus. And he goes, this is it. John said it and I've sat with him all day. Yeah, the Messiah's here. The first one he went to was his brother. I'll get more into this in the last message. But friends, every follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm not asking, hey, did you pray a prayer? No, are you a follower of Christ? Like you surrendered to Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a missionary. The missionary is not just the one who has a passport, flies somewhere that no one else knows or goes. It's like, no, that's them. I'm just, I'm just a Christian here. You're a missionary in your zip code. God has placed you where you are to be a missionary to people. And the first, for some of you, the first person you should go to, live under your roof. That's the first person, first person God's calling you. Go home, go tell him. And all he said, I found him, I found the Messiah. Watch what happens next. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon. Okay, he's really good at his job. You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Anybody know what the, what the name Peter means? Huh? Yeah, rock. He said, you're, you are Simon, but you'll be Peter. You'll be rock. Can you imagine Andrew going, this guy? This guy's, we call him Noodle. The dude just, he just bends on everything. And when you watch Peter's life, he kind of does that, right? He's like, I'm all in for Jesus. I don't know the guy. He's like, you, I know who you are, but I know who you'll become. And was he right? Yeah, because if tradition's true, do you realize Simon Peter was crucified because he loved Jesus, but he asked because he didn't, he didn't find himself worthy to die the same way Jesus did. He, he requested he be hung upside down. Don't you think that's rock? The noodle became a rock. And he goes on. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. Now Philip was, with, um, so was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of, of whom Moses is the, I'm sorry, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Dang. That sucks. And then I was like, wait, Nazareth? Guys, we have like this, oh, Nazareth, that's where Jesus is from. This is a 40 square acre town. This is podunk. And so Nathanael's like, Anything good come from there? Like there's nothing that good, there's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. Goes on. Verse, uh, where is that? 47. I'm sorry, verse 46. Uh, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What the? 
They didn't have cameras. There's no security camera. Jesus wasn't in there. He's like, hey, when Philip came and got you and you talked trash about me, I saw you. Oh, no. Friends, you ever gotten caught in something and you knew it, but you still try to wiggle your way out of it? I remember, maybe about your age, maybe a little older, maybe it was high school. My brother and I, who had one job, which was to clean the house on Fridays. That was our job. So within that job, he had a couple things and I had a couple things. And my thing was, I had to, I think I had to clean the, the bathrooms and I had to vacuum. But here's the thing, I hated our vacuum. It was like moving a continent. This thing was massive. Like seriously, it's like, it took, it wasn't like now where it's just a robot that push the button and then walk away. This thing, it took everything, it's like, bam. And then you have to try to plug it in and then push it. It's like, and you try to get, it sucked. The whole thing, I hated it. And I saw told my brother, it's like, hey, we should trade because I need to learn your things. He's like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, you suck. So one day I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gonna vacuum, but I gotta make it look like I vacuumed. So I, brilliant idea. Guys, I gotta be honest. I think sometimes when it's like when Hume emails Brian, can you come? I'm like, you're picking the bottom of the barrel, my friends. Like I got an 880 on my SATs out of 1600. Homeboy is not sharp. Okay, so the, this is this is what I thought of. This is my plan to get out of vacuuming. I thought, hey, I'm not gonna plug it in, but I gotta make the tracks. So I just took the vacuum and I just made the tracks through the whole house. How dumb is that? I think about it. <laughs> All I had to do to fully obey was plug it in and click a button with my toe. And it'd be the same movement. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting away with it. I'm not vacuuming. Yeah. Yeah. And I put it away. I get a hernia from it. I put it away. Parents come home. Mom's like, hey, the house looks really great. I'm like, and she's like, Brian, can you come here for a second? I'm like, sure. Of course, my heart's pumping a little bit, but I'm like, oh, there's tracks. She goes, did you vacuum? I said, yeah, there's tracks. And then she comes, she goes, come here. How did you miss this? There's this pile of junk that the vacuum should have picked up. I'm like, oh. Uh. And she goes, you didn't plug it in. You just moved it around, huh? <laughs> what do you say? I'm like, caught. It's that, oh no, moment. And she goes, Brian, I got, do you know how dumb that is? <laughs> and someone's like, she was so mean to, no, she was right. It was so dumb. I knew I was caught. Is oh no. Nathaniel's going, wait, wait, you heard me? You saw me? And what's he say? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. That's all it took. Something that Jesus said made them change everything, their whole idea of who he was. How is that possible? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Guys, it's, it blows my mind. I could read one passage at one moment and say I read it the next year and something else pops out that I didn't notice the time before. And then the next year I might go through it and something else pops out. See, there's never a point where it's like, well, I've read it once, I'm solid, I'm good. Really, like you figured God out. 
Like he's, no, he's not impressive anymore. You fig- this thing has been debated and talked about and fought over for centuries, but you got it after one time? You're amazing. And guys, we don't read the Bible so we can just know the Bible. We read the Bible so we can know the God of the Bible. When you sit there and go, well, Brian, if God would just tell me, he would just speak to me and tell me what to do, I would do it. Here's a, bless you. Just do this. Open the book. Open the book. Guys, it was, it's, it's a little um, nerve-wracking. When you look at the statistics of our nation, remember we talked about absolute truth? Like, is there real absolute, are there, is there something that's truth? Do you realize the statistics show this? Those who call themselves Christians, born-again Christians, and those who, those who aren't, the percentages of those who call themselves Christians and those who aren't are about equal on whether or not they believe in absolute truth. You have people going, I believe this book, but it's only for some people. And it's not for you. If it's not for you, it's not for you. It's good for me. I said, they're going, why are we doing this? Christians, why are we doing this? What are we pointing them to? Who are we pointing them to? Because if we're not teaching the Bible, we're not showing them, this is who God is. Like think about it, last time, we, okay, all that stuff we talked about, is like, well, Brian, there, weren't, there wasn't a verse that talked about that the earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour. Yes, but I know that God's the one who created the earth. Then I could look at science and go, man, this earth is massive and we're going crazy and God's holding it all together according to Colossians chapter one. Are you kidding me? Blows my mind. Who God is who he has revealed himself to be in the pages of this book. But Brian, this book is so hard. I know. So if you're like, I've never really read the Bible, here's what I'm gonna say. Don't start in Genesis. And don't go page by page from Genesis. Why? Because by the time you get to Leviticus, you wanna die. <laughs> it's hard, it's boring, right? That's not, I would never say the Bible's boring. Oh, so just lie. No, it's boring. There's parts like, I don't get this, God. I'm going to be honest, when I get to numbers, it said, and this people group number this many, and this people group number this many, I'm like, oh, I need this for insomnia. <laughs> but then you look, why is it so important? Because it's historically accurate and it shows it in the historical writings of the scriptures. So it's important that's in there. So where should you start? Start the book of Mark and get to know Jesus and go subheading to subheading in your Bible and read it to know him Subheading to subheading, and here's, I'm just gonna go as quick as I can. Find one thing that pops out to you when you read it. Write that verse down, underneath it, write out why you wrote it down. What did you learn from it? That's it. Start there. But get your face back in the book. Get our faces back in the book. From cover to cover. Pick a book, study it, teach it, know it, learn it. It's all about Jesus. It's just gonna be about him. But know it. Youth leaders, youth pastors can encourage you. Just keep teaching the Bible. And at times when a topic has to be dealt with, deal with it, then jump back into a book. And this helped this culture, this younger generation, know the pages of the Bible. Even the hard stuff, because I'm telling you, middle schoolers, you can handle it. Middle schoolers, I want to be honest with you. 
Most of the time I speak at camps. Uh, I think Hugh might be the only, there's a couple middle schools I do. Most of the time it's high school or college. And people go, oh, you're going to teach middle schoolers. I'm like, I know, I love it. Like, oh, you know how they are? I'm like, yes, awesome. Well, do you, like, do you bring it down a little bit so they can get it? I say, this is it, I'm as, honest, as honest as I can be. I teach you no differently than I teach my people at home because you can handle it. It's like, oh, not everybody can. Let's raise the bar, though. Because this is what I've noticed when I was a youth pastor. When I would raise the bar, students would come up to it. If I just keep it low, they can't handle it. They can't talk about all the tough stuff. They're never going to know it. Guys, you can get it. I don't teach any differently, you, than any other age group. I teach this way to our people and my church that God has entrusted me with. I teach them the exact same way, the exact same topics. Because I know you can handle it. There's nothing holding you back. You just start the process and learn to walk with God in the pages of his book. So we look at this topic of God last night. This infinite God who's unchangeable, he's immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Did I just come up with that? It comes from the pages of the Bible. We get to know what God's like by reading the pages of the Bible. He is so loving and God has wrath. He's so perfect in justice and judgment as he is in mercy and grace. He is so overwhelming in his forgiveness and his conviction in confronting us in our sin. We can offend him, but he'll go to a cross for us. All of that comes from the pages of the Bible. And when people don't paint a picture, the full picture of God, because there's certain parts that you don't like about him, Judgment, I don't want to talk about that. Guys, I got to be honest. You know why judgment's so important, why it makes the gospel look so amazing? Because I deserve to be judged. But Jesus took my judgment so that I don't have to take the judgment of God. I love that. It just made, oh yeah, I couldn't do it by myself. Nope. So God did it? Praise God. See, if, I figure if God is this kind of God, according to his book, and he can create what he created. I figure he can write a book with no issues. Guys, it's from this book that we learn things like, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that for two chapters everything was going well and in the third chapter we jacked the whole thing up. Guys, think about it, it took us three chapters to break the whole world. Three chapters. And then we blame God. You imagine, think about it. If God came back, it's like, I gave you a responsibility. And it lasted for three chapters. And then you broke it. And you're blaming me? Sin, rebellion against God. Guys, I learned from the Bible that sin is passed down, that I'm a sinner. And that I sin because I'm a sinner to the core. Guys, it's from the Bible that we look and go, okay, so what's the problem with the world? There's sin in the world. And all the brokenness that we see is a result of the brokenness and fallenness of man and woman. It's like when we rebelled against God. Like you look in the pages of the Bible and you see God set up this thing called the law. And he tells the people of Israel, you're gonna follow and you're gonna obey this. 
And then you look at the law. It's like the first five books of the Bible going, man, that's a lot of stuff. And you learn the pages of the Bible. I think it's the book of Romans where Paul's like, hey, the purpose of the law was to show you you can't do it. Like the whole purpose that God put all that five parts of the, the, far, the first five books of the Bible is so you know you can't be good enough. You can't make it. You can't do enough good things. It's to make sure that everyone on the planet understands you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. It's in the Bible that we learn about the Levitical, the Levitical law and all the sacrifices that had to be made. In order for the people to be reconciled to God, it's in the Bible that we see God take the people of Israel who he prophesied 400 years before they went into, or they were in, they were in slavery 400 years and he prophesied that it was gonna happen. And he brought them out and he set himself right in the middle when the tabernacle, which is kind of where quote unquote God resided. When he said, this is where I want you to put the tabernacle, put it right in the middle. Why? Because from cover to cover, I believe the pages say what? God with us, that we might be with him. Guys, it's in the pages of the Bible we see God say things like, hey, this king served this long, he led this team, this, 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 this country, and he did more evil than the king before him. We, know, we learn what righteousness is, we learn what sin is. It's in the Bible that we get this verse, though, that Jesus came, and nobody knew. It's like he came under camouflage. And the only ones that found out were these shepherds. The most amazing birth announcement ever. Like one, one just shows up and starts saying these words and then this multitude of angels show up. And it's my conviction, all of the angels showed up. It's my conviction. It doesn't say, it just says a multitude. I'm going, I'm just going to say all of them. Because what angel's going to want to be in heaven going, I don't want to go to that. I mean, it's a big deal, but I, I'd rather just stay here. I think they all showed up. And they say what? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Guys, you know who those, you know who the shepherds were probably watching? You know what sheep they were probably watching? The same sheep or lambs that would be used at the temple for the sacrifice. So who better for Jesus or for the angels to go to to proclaim the coming of the Lamb of God than the shepherds who were watching the lambs of God? Guys, it's in the pages of the Bible. We see why Jesus came. We see why God sent him. For God so loved the world. The Father loved, so, loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's in the pages in the Bible that we're confronted with, hey, I can't make it my own. And so Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, for you've been saved by grace through faith. And this, and when he says this, what's he referring to? Faith. This faith, it's not of your own. That's the gift of God. Not by works. Not by works. Let me say it again. Not by works. No religious thing you could ever do makes you more right with God. It is only what Jesus accomplished. Why? So no one will boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, it's from the pages of the Bible that I'm told I've got a mission. Because I've been saved, I have a mission. I have a purpose. God has given me something to do. Guys, it's from the pages in the Bible that it, it teaches me you've been justified. I stand before God as holy. Not because I'm great, but because Jesus is great. The Bible says it calls it in Christ. So just, and it's, it's called imputed righteousness. Kind of picture like this. Say you have, a, you have a code of sin and I have a code of righteousness. 
That's not that makes me Jesus. How about this? I have, I'll say, I have a code of sin. Jesus has a code of righteousness. I walked up when I surrendered my life to Christ. He took my code of sin and he gave me his code of righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to me and I'm now in Christ. Does that make sense? So when the father looks upon me, it's as if he's looking at me going, you are as holy as Jesus. That's the Bible. Guys, it's in the Bible. It says, hey, you're going to encounter some really difficult times. You're going to go through times of suffering. But consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. It's in Romans chapter 7 that I realize, hey, you ever... If you're a follower of Jesus, you ever find yourself going, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I really want to. And then when you do it, you feel all convicted and horrible, right? It's like, why do I feel like this? Why is it so hard at times to do these things? And Paul's suddenly going, the things I don't want to do, I do those things. The things I should do, I don't do them. Who will save me from this body of death? Oh, praise be to God. And the next verse in chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the Bible. It's in the Bible. Guys, I just look and go, this is, this is mind-blowing stuff. It's in the Bible that I hear this. Paul, the one who used to persecute Christians. Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. Friends, before you write someone off out of this quote-unquote woke culture, remember that one of our heroes in the faith used to persecute the Christians. He would go into homes and arrest men and women and drag them out and put them in prison until God got a hold of them. And this guy who stood against the church, he's like, I'm the worst of sinners because I actually tried to destroy the church of God. That guy later on says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God. Guys, this is the Bible. This is the same Paul that goes, okay, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He believed, hey, he who began the good work in me will complete it. He's gonna, he's gonna finish it until the day of Jesus. Guys, how crazy to hear someone go, hey, for, for me to live is Jesus, and if I die, awesome. And he's not even, guys, he's not depressed. It comes from what's called the letter of joy, Philippians. Guys, he's under house arrest. He might be chained to a Praetorian guard. Praetorian guard's kind of like the Roman, or it's like the Roman soldier's version of the Navy SEAL. These guys pretty much did everything that they wanted to do. He's chained to him. Guys, can you imagine? It's like this. Praetorian guard's chained to him. He's like, hey, can I tell you about something? He's like, no, 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 not today. Buddy of mine watched you yesterday. You drove him crazy. All you did was talk about Jesus. If you talk about Jesus, I will kill you. you can't, can you imagine Paul going, oh, you promise? You promise? You promise if I tell you about Jesus, you're going to kill me? I promise you, if you tell me about Jesus, I will kill you. Oh, okay. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Guy, is in that moment, who's in prison? Paul or the guard? He's got an eight-hour shift. He's like, this guy's driving me crazy. Paul's just like, let me tell you how great this guy is. Jesus, almighty God, just goes off and, oh, gee, shut up. Paul's just going, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I should mimic his life. I've been told I should have the same mindset of Jesus. 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself and became a servant to the point of taking death, even death on a cross. It's the Bible that tells me that I'm invited to have the same mentality about Jesus, that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Guys, why do I bring all these passages of scriptures up? Because this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what the Bible says. And this Bible says Jesus is coming back one day. And just like they waited for him and waited and waited and waited, we wait. But know this, friends, think about it. He's already won. He's already won. And he's coming back one day. And we have a mission and we have a message. So let me close with this. Yesterday on my drive up, I listened to the guy at home. His name's James. He was preaching for me. And he said, every day I read this in his journal. He's written it out, and so he reads it every day. And it's his identity because he knows Jesus. That was so powerful. I wanted to write it down, but I figure if I'm going 70 miles an hour, maybe I shouldn't. But I did. I, no, I'm just joking. I didn't do this. So this is what he said. This is what he reads. All from scripture. I'm a child of God, a son of the king, an heir of God. I am loved and perfectly cared for. I'm accepted and adored. I'm sufficient and enough. I'm righteous and blessed. I'm rescued and set apart for his glory. I am justified and sanctified. I'm created in his image, made alive in Christ and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I'm the beloved of God in God's special possession. I'm free and I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm redeemed through his blood and forgiven by him because of his sacrifice for me. I'm holy and blameless before him. I was predestined by him and chosen in him before the creation of the world. I am known by him and he has made himself known to me. I am his and he is mine. And I heard that and I went, Oh, God, if we could get that. If we could get that. Leaders, moms, you're not, you're not more accepted by God on how you loved your kids that day. Dad, same thing for you. You're just his, and he's yours. I love and do things because I worship him, not so I can be accepted by him. And so let's just go back to those few words that Mary gave to those servants. Friends, let's just do what he says. Let's just do what he says. Let's get our faces back in the book so we can spend time with the creator. And let's just do what he says. Can I pray for us? I know this is a longer message. Thank you guys for hanging in. You guys are fantastic. Let's pray. Let's pray. Hey, I know this is old school. Uh, let's stand. This is old school. Let's, let's stand. Real quiet. Shh, just stand. It's weird. It's weird. Like when the, when the legs work, the mouth opens. Hold on. Shh. Hold on. When we're done praying, you can stand, you're going to have a seat quietly, and then I think Harrison's going to come kind of explain some things. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it says. We thank you for how you speak to us through it. We thank you that you took 1,500 years to pen it, that we might know you. We might know our plight, your remedy. We might know who you are.
Father, we thank you that you wanted to give this to us that we might know you better. And then, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us with a love and a commitment to your word, not just to know it, but to live it, all to the praise and glory of the Father because of Jesus. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Love you all more than you know. <laughs>